Welcome back to the Speaking and Communicating Podcast. I am your host, Robert Andlela. If you are looking to improve your communication skills, both professionally and personally, this is the podcast you should be tuning into. Communication and soft skills are crucial in your career growth and leadership development. Whether you're about to speak in public, make presentations at work, pitch to investors or an entrepreneur looking to showcase your innovation to a wider audience, you'd be glad you joined us. By the end of this episode, log on to Apple and Spotify, leave us a rating and a review and what you'd like for us to discuss on this podcast. Let's get communicating. Let's get communicating today with Dr. Michael Gerhardt, who hails all the way from Germany and is a communication specialist and expert. He's here to talk to us about not persuading harder, but actually resonating stronger, which is his motto. And before I go any further, please help me welcome him to the show. Hi, Dr. Michael. Hey, Roberta. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Welcome to the show. How are things in Germany right now? Well, it's uh, pretty nice outside, actually. We have an extended summer here. It feels like that. So enjoying our time here. Mm, I'm sure you guys certainly appreciate that. So please tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a communications coach and I help people find the right words, basically. So if you're passionate about what you do, if you believe that the thing that you're working on has the potential to have an impact to make the world a better place, um, then I'm helping you to find the words to make that actually happen. I do that for leaders across the globe, figure out uh, how to um, find the right words when they're standing on the big stage in front of crowds, but also in personal conversations with employees, team, partners, investors. So basically anywhere where you'd need to make, turn your passion into their passion. When you were a, a young boy running around the streets in your town, did you think one day I want to teach people how to communicate? Not at all. <laughs> when I was that boy, uh, my dream was to become a pop star, actually. Oh, hello. So when you took the detour and decided I'm not going the billboard direction, what made you go this direction? What, what got you started on this? I was actually then on, on the more academic route at first. I, I became a computer scientist, made my PhD in mobile communications. As you do in that that field, well, we had lots of meetings and we were throwing ideas at each other at conferences, in meetings, in papers. And one of the things that always frustrated me was how many of those great ideas had been thrown into a trash bin because they weren't communicated properly, because people couldn't get to the point, they couldn't make it interesting, they couldn't spark the enthusiasm that they felt themselves into their audience and, and into in, in the team. And I always found that a bit disappointing, right? I mean, there's so many passion that, that, that doesn't get the impact that it deserves. So I started to look for a better way, um, started reading blogs and books and went to, to, to one or two seminars and then started writing about what I learned, elaborating that through that writing. It seemed to resonate with people and they reached out to me and well, more and more wanted to ask for my services and helping them make that better way of presenting a reality. And that's how I changed lanes eventually. Mm. You started in software engineering and tech and I worked in engineering, but more the civil, the roads. 
my engineering background is the reason I started this podcast because I, I made this observation that it's not the smartest engineer who gets to be promoted and lead the team and become the divisional director, but ones who speak more. Because at university, usually you will learn the technical skip, but nobody's going to add those extra things. No? Yeah, exactly. You're, there, there's no place where you actually learn those skills. Um, you don't learn them, at least not properly in school. You don't learn them at the university. In fact, Lots of what you learn there is quite of the opposite of what gets you the promotion later on and the impact later on, because for many of the professors, teaching is just the boring part of their job, where they're more interested in doing the research, but not so much in doing the teaching. So they're not as invested as they could be or as the students would deserve. And so you don't really learn how to do that in university, um, at least in most places. There are notable exceptions there, probably. Um, and then in the job, it's just the same. You're the young, the, the junior there, and you're not going to tell your seniors um, that their presentations are somehow not working, right? Um, and so, not just, if you don't want to lose your job. <laughs> yeah, and and so you're just aligning with with how how it's always been done there, which is often not the most effective way of getting your point across. But then again, of course, you're you're right. I mean, there are those people who probably are more talented or had the luck of having a mentor um, who showed them how to do it um, in a more appropriate way, in a more impactful way, they're going to have advantages in, in getting their points across and getting yes to their ideas. You bring up a good point with the university lectures, which I don't think we've actually ever discussed. If that's all you've been exposed to as a presentation, like your classes, then you got your first job and your bosses go and make a presentation. I think that's why people present the way they do at first. They're like the university lecturers, no? Yeah, that, that happens. And, and that, that makes me sad, actually, um, a little bit when I see the amount of knowledge and wisdom and insights that's generated at universities and, and in the, the research projects that you do in at the university and not nearly enough value is put into how to get that out again. So how to convey what you've learned to the general public, um, or at least to those who your research has an impact on, right? Mm. Um, so then that leads to what you just sketched that, well, yeah, you're just doing what, what you see your professor doing or the others in your work group doing, who never learned it themselves. It's not that, that they hold something back or that they wouldn't tell you the whole it's truth. Not it's not their fault, no. It's that they don't know better themselves. Right. And then, as you said, so they have all this research, all this wealth of knowledge that they should be giving to us, which we then sort of accuse engineers of saying, when you make a presentation and we are not technical, we don't know what you're talking about. Then they don't know how to translate it. Like you said, they, the idea goes to the trash because they don't know how to translate it to layman's terms so we can understand what they're talking about, what, what the investors can understand as well. Because yeah. you, you're too technical, which then goes back to our earlier point, which is that's how your lecturer was presenting. This is one problem. The other problem is that you're you're surrounded by experts all the time, right? And if you're um, 
working at the university, for example, doing your PhD, um, mm. it's because you're passionate about the thing that you do. You're going to work a lot in, in the lab and you're, you're going to be surrounded by people who are as passionate about that thing as you are. But of course, when you're surrounded by those people, you're, you're going, going to use the language that's used by experts. So you're only ever exposed to expert language. Um, and then there's that phenomenon of the curse of knowledge that the, the the more we know about something, the harder it gets to speak about that thing in simple terms, right? And we never have that mirror of laymen or um, audiences who are not as expert as we are, who um, mirror to us and, and give the feedback that, well, I don't even get a point of what you say. I, I don't even have to understand a word. Um, what does that even mean, RAM or all these acronyms that um, scientists obsess about? And if I don't understand it, how would I think it's going to benefit me and why should I buy your product? Exactly. And therefore, then how do these engineers with all this expert lingo they've been surrounded by and studied, how do they then make the transition when they make a presentation in order for all the audiences to connect and resonate with what they're saying? Well, there might be a couple of things that, that you can do, the, the low-hanging fruits, right? Um, so. One of the things of, that you could easily do that are within reach for everyone is to, well, just speak with your friends about the thing that, that you spend your day on, right? Try to explain them what you do and, and then look at their blank stares when they don't get a word and do something with that because that blank stare is not an insult. It's just feedback that helps you find better words. Um, something that you don't get so easily when you're standing in on a big stage for the first time, are nervous and, and don't know how to look, who to look at in the audience. But but in in a conversation with a friend, you can do that, and you do find better words if they will reply to you that they don't get it, get what you mean. You will look for better ways for another metaphor, for an anecdote, for an analogy that you could um, use to explain what you were trying to get across, and then. Take those, note them, and apply them to your presentations and use them there. Because one thing that you shouldn't be afraid of is that you would dump it down, that it would be too simplistic. It is not. If you find simple words to explain complex topics, that's worth way more than the other way around, finding complex words to say simple things, right? Mm. In a way, we don't blame people. I mean, if you've spent years doing your studies, your PhD, you want us to realize that you've studied something that mm. is expert in that field. So that's okay. why the inclusion, of, right? Because if you spoke in simple terms, like everybody was like, doesn't really, doesn't like I really have a PhD. <laughs> yeah. So we are um, hypocritical in a sense as well with that. But yes, if we don't understand what you are saying, we won't see how it benefits us and therefore we won't be interested. And you bring up a good point to say, test it with those close to you and see they are, they'll, they'll give you honest feedback. Because yeah. if there are 500 of us, we're just going to sit there quietly and think, I have no idea what he's saying. I can't wait for him to be done. Yeah. You, you raise a valid point there with that, that fear of, is that even worth a PhD if it's, if it's as simple as that? But here's the thing, and here's the twist that might help you appreciate the perspective. Um, because when you think about that, what makes people think that you are smart is when you make them feel smart, when you make them understand something that they couldn't understand before. And they will project that upon you. So they will attribute that increase in their knowledge to you. And so 
so if you manage to break down the brilliance of your research, even if it's the most complex thing in the world, when you find simple words um, that allow them into that world, it makes them feel smarter and that will pro project back on you. Is that where the resonate part comes in? That's your motto? Well, of course, there, there's a lot of nuance to that, but that, that's a huge part of it, that you understand that when you present, it's not about you. Not a second of your presentation, of your time that you speak is about you. It's always about the audience. All your brilliance is of no use if they don't get it, right? And that you need to take them to places they haven't been before. But what, because if you don't, what use is it to waste all of the audience's and yourself's time in speaking about those things? So it's never about you. It's always about where can you lead your audience to? And if you do that, if you take that posture, you, you've taken the most important, the, the first and most important step to, and that is by starting to look from their perspective. Where are they coming from? What do they know? And how can I bridge the gap from what they do know now to what I need them to see? And if you look from that perspective, things look very different than when you start from your own perspective and, and, and think, well, here's everything I know, and I just throwing throw everything at you because I'm so brilliant, and you need to figure it out somehow. Mm -hmm. Make your audience feel smarter. And in taking them through that journey, how can you incorporate storytelling while also trying to make people realize that hey, you're an expert in this? Well, I think common misconception here is that simplicity would be the opposite of complexity, right? I think it's not. I think simplicity is much more like the entrance, the entry point to complexity. It's through simplicity that we open up our audience's minds for the complexity. It's through simplicity that we make the complex accessible for them. And also to our own thinking. So if we manage to spark their curiosity, to make them interested by finding simple explanations, for example, using storytelling or anecdotes or metaphors, once we manage to spark their interest, that's the point where we can dig deeper, where we can think, take them in down deep down into that rabbit hole and explore what, what else there's to see and to find. Mm-hmm. When you started writing blogs and you were talking about this, when people came to you or reached out and said, Dr. Michael, I read your blog and this is what I liked and this is what I need help with. What were what some of the common requests from that? Well, one of the things that practically everyone struggles with, engineers hmm. for sure, researchers for sure, but also CEOs and entrepreneurs, the kind of people that I worked with today, is that if you are passionate about what you do, if you deeply believe in what you do and you spend all your day in, into making the world a better place, part of the reason that you're so good at what you do is that you care for the details, that you sweat the details and go all the way to figuring those out. But when you're standing in front of an audience or writing a post or writing even a tweet, there's no room and no time for explaining all those details. So you need to somehow cut it down and get to the point, to point that has the chance of getting through to your audience, of sparking their interest. That takes courage and it's kind of hard for a lot of people who care for what they do to just find the courage and cut to the core. And, and um, being able to do that and finding out 
what's the really essential thing here, the thing that my audience absolutely needs to see here, finding the courage to, to cut to that is one of the hardest things that I experience in my work. Mm. If you want to pitch to investors for funding, you want them to see that you're an expert, but remember, they are not engineers, well, at least some mm. of them. How do you craft a pitch that will appeal to them to say, he's an expert in this, so whatever he's trying to do, he knows how to create it because he's an expert. But at the same time, we don't understand what this is going to do and if the market is going to be receptive to it because mm. we don't understand it. So how do you blend these two worlds? Yeah, excellent, excellent question, actually, because that's a common phenomenon, right? That when we show up for funding or the same is true for startups who look for funding and, and investors, one of their concerns is that they believe in what they do and they are really expert in what they do and they've built that beautiful, that great product, or they've come up with that elaborate theory about how this or that works. We want to be appreciated for that, that, that the others see our brilliance and get our brilliance, right? Mm. I think the most important step is to understand that that's not the point, that no one cares about how brilliant you are. Um, <laughs> okay. If you're looking for funding, it's about how brilliant the investors are, right, to fund you. Uh, and making them feel brilliant in investing into that project. And if that takes proving your own brilliance, then be it. Then show them all you've got and show them how you can juggle those equations or that those complex jargon terms. But it's not the point. It's just to create the trust that's needed for them. But the point really is in funding um, is that um, that you understand why are those people funding you? What, what's in it for them, right? What is their motivation to fund you? It might be to make a profit if it's from the industry. It might be to make the world a better place if it's to cure a disease or something like that. But to understand that point and to give them a good feeling of that the money is well spent on you because you care for the th same things as they do, or you care for the thing that, that you do delivers on that why of the funders, and you know what you're doing, then that is all that they need to know. They don't need to see how brilliant you are, just that you're smart enough to take good care of their money and bring it to, to good impact. And then when it comes to communicating, we talk about the pause. Why is the pause important? If we're communicating about our passion project, for example, one of the most common concerns of people is to get our points across, well, to get them to see the full picture, the whole thing. If we're not communicating for that, but to, to make an impact for them to actually get it, there needs to be some space for them to actually be able to digest that, right? So if we're constantly shooting information at them, giving them no breathing room, there's first of all the risk of overwhelming them. And then there's another risk of, because usually we're communicating to smart people, right? Yes. Um, and one of the things that smart people hate is if you figure out everything for them. Smart people want to feel smart. And to be able to figure something out, they need the time and space to actually be able to do that. If you don't skip even a single beat and take just a second for them to think your argument through, there's no space for them to figure things out. And so you're missing out on impact there. 
Mm. You know what that reminds me, the point you just made? You know how sometimes in a movie there will be a scene and they won't give the whole conclusion of that particular scene? Mm-hmm. And then they jump into a different scene, which leaves you wondering, huh, I wonder how that scene is going to end. And then maybe sometimes they even put it at, towards the end of the movie. Yeah. It's like they don't want to just spoon feed you everything right from the get go. Yeah. And, and that, that is about the worst. Uh, yeah, that, that's a great example because um, screenwriters and directors understand that, that the worst thing that you can do to movie audience is to give the whole story away uh, too early, to reveal how it all ends too early. So if 15 minutes into the movie, you already know that they're going to fall in love or who's going to be the murderer or something, then you're not going to be interested. Something that screenwriters know and, and are masterful at is that they know how to work with their audience's curiosity, that they yeah. spark their interest and then they keep you hooked because they understand what's going on in your mind. What's the next question that's on your mind? They make you curious for a piece of information before they give it to you. And that is something that you can easily take and translate to your presentations and to your communication. Make sure that your audience is curious to get a piece of information before you give it to them. Mm, Let them figure it out. Like you said, smart people, they want to Mm. at least figure some things out. And yeah. would you say the pause as well helps you if you read your audience, you can even take your presentation in a bit of a different direction than originally planned because you can sort of gauge their reaction if you say something or if you did something and they you know, respond in a certain way. Or do you just, I've prepared this, this is my speech, ah. <laughs> let me do it this way. Yeah, I mean, th- that's kind of the, the mode that beginners use. And the, well, it, it's about get just getting through, right? But when you're more used to giving presentations, when you feel more comfortable doing that, of course, then you try to work with the audience. And I tend to believe that the most satisfying presentations are those that feel like you're kind of in a conversation, right? That, yeah. that don't even feel like someone's talking alone, talking to you, but that you feel like he's having a conversation with you. He just happens to be the person who's doing most of the talking, but still it feels like there's kind of a dialogue happening here. Speaking of conversation, so far, and please give your honest feedback. I'm not going to hold it against you. So far in this, we call it a podcast interview. Has it felt like an interview or a conversation? I'd say it's kind of in between. Okay. Because you, you've done mostly the questioning and I've done the answering. So certainly the interview part, but it's certainly a more elaborate interview in the sense that, well, you work with the answers and lead it to places where they are meaningful. So it's not just a prepared set of questions, right? It's, well, no, let's I don't think that... we even agreed on what questions I was going to ask. Yeah, Ex- exactly. It, it's, it's just, well, we start someplace and then we look where the conversation goes. And that's um, why it feels, although it is formally an interview, it feels more like a conversation. Right. Thank you for that uh, honest feedback. And the reason I asked the question is because, you know, sometimes you are asked to give a keynote and then when you arrive at the venue, they will say, oh, Dr. Michael, I know we, we asked you to speak for 45 minutes, but we're running behind schedule. We only keep it to 15 for you. Hmm. Then what do you do? Then I'm glad 
that I know what my point is, right? That I didn't start preparing my slides and didn't didn't think of my keynote as being a bunch of PowerPoint slides, but that I started by asking, so who's in the audience? Why did they ask me to give their keynote? Where are they coming from? What are they hoping to get out of that? I'm going to be glad that I stuck to one key message that what what I like to call the pass along phrase. So when I'm done talking, what's the one thing that they're going to pass along once they get home and their spouse asks them, so what was that keynote about that you've been to today? When you start from that place and then figure out, so so how do I bridge that gap from where they are, they are coming from to that pass along phrase? You're not thinking into 50 facts or 30 slides that I need to go through, but a journey that I need to take them on. If I plan it like that, I'm able to give my speech in like 30 seconds, three minutes, 15 minutes, or even three hours if you'd like. Because I know the journey and on at every point of the journey, I can dig deeper, but I don't have to. Mm. Which is the same principle you can apply. Some investor meetings say one minute, 10 minutes, one hour, whole day. They're all different. So if you know everything, you can package it according to, okay, this one is only highlights. This one is the details. This one is, you know, they want to know this much about it. Exactly. The point is the facts and the details are never the problem. I mean, you're probably the most expert person on the planet on, on your field. So who's going to tell you what, what's accurate or not? You're going to have the details readily available. What's the problem most often is to craft those details into a compelling storyline. But once you have that, and if it makes sense to you, so if you have that story that feels true to yourself and feels true to the to your topic, then you're going to have the details and the facts and the figures readily available, right? And you just need to 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 put them in. I mean, of course, that takes a, a bit of practice, but well, that's probably your least concern if you're really passionate about what you do. Absolutely, yes. So you're a fellow podcaster. Please tell us about the Irresistible Communication Podcast. That's kind of the opposite of this podcast. It's um, just a very concise piece of thinking. It's just two minutes long. It's published twice a week, two minutes. Um, just a very short snippet onto one very specific thought that I think it might be valuable to your communication. So my goal is to get you thinking, get you reflecting on what you, how you approach communication and probably leave the podcast um, getting into your day or probably your next meeting, reflecting on those things and, well, noticing those and in the long term, probably even changing one thing or two. I like that, actually, because I, I remember when I started, I used to do some solo episodes, so I didn't have interviews, conversations mm-hmm. like this. And I think one of them was like an eight minute story of an experience I had with my baby brother or I'll make one of for like 10 minutes and people still like it because sometimes we think, oh, it should be an hour long like Joe Rogan. People actually like the short form because they just get, like you said, the snippet that they need for that day and they go and practice that. Yeah, I think the, the beauty of that podcasting world is that there's something in it for everyone. And we have plenty of long form podcasts. Um, we have plenty of interview form podcasts. We have not so much of those short form pieces. And I thought that was the piece that I could contribute that probably would be valuable to one person or the other. 
Certainly is, I'm sure. And I'm going to put its details on the show notes. And please tell us about your book, The Aha Effect, where you mentioned that there are selfish communicators, Dr. Michael. Um, yeah, there are. <laughs> Especially in the corporate world, of course, um, where it's a lot about sales and marketing, but also in the scientific community, where it's about being right at times where it should be about getting it right or where it's about status more than it should be. And, and if you're approaching communication or presentations from that perspective, you're obviously concerned with what I call the, the wow effect, right? Putting mm. on a great show, putting the spotlight on yourself, making people see how brilliant you are, how great the product is, how awesome that theory is. While I tend to think that that's not the point, because what use is it if your audience says, what a great show it's been, when what you actually want them to say is, well, what a great idea that is, what an awesome product that is. Um, and so I think that the wow effect is only gets you only halfway there. You need to take them to uh, all the way to, to a profound aha moment. Wow might open the mind, aha is what eventually changes the mind. It certainly does. And as you said earlier, if they have the aha, that's the pass along phrase. Instead of, oh, yeah. that was a great show. Looks like theater. Okay, let's go home. And they forget about it. Exactly. You want them to leave with a profound insight, with something that they could tell about the show other than that your dress was beautiful, right? <laughs> or that, that your words were felt so eloquent or something, right? Mm. You want them to really appreciate the idea and taking that idea and telling their friends about that so that they can tell their friends. Right. Is there anything I haven't asked you today that you were hoping to share with our listeners? I could talk about that topic for days probably without me getting bored. So <laughs> not, not, <laughs> that's, not how sure passionate that... you, that's how passionate <laughs> you are about the subject. I love it. <laughs> exactly. Not, not sure whether that's the best question to ask me, but um, well, if there's anything that, that I could probably add is that, well, if you're passionate about what you do, it what uses your passion if it doesn't get the impact that it deserves, right? It, if you're passionate about what, what you do, part of your job is getting the word out there. Because if you don't care about that, you can't delegate that. If you don't care about that, chances are no one cares about it. And so getting communication right and getting the word, finding the words that make others appreciate what you do, see what you see, make them as passionate about that as you are, it's just part of the job and you shouldn't leave the fields to all of those slick salespeople who know how to do that better than you, but have the inferior solution um, or the inferior ideas. Just take ownership of that, figure out how to get the word across and make the impact that your idea deserves. Certainly make the impact. Words of wisdom from Dr. Michael Gerhardt, all the way from Germany, who is a communication specialist and expert. I had a really great time and I could really draw from your passion about the subject of communication today. Thank you so much for being on our show, Dr. Michael. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And before you go, where can we find you for more information after this? Well, the easiest way would be on my website. It's Michael Gerhards. That's G-E-R-H-A-R-Z, one word, michaelgerhards.com, where you find um, all the things that we mentioned, like the blog, the podcast, um, the Leaders Light the Path manifesto. And of course, um, you can also um, find me on the usual social media, like on LinkedIn. Please feel free to connect or on Instagram. 
Okay, so michaelgerhards.com. By the way, in America, they say Z instead of Z. I'm South African, so I also say Z. <laughs> they say yeah. Z on this side of yeah. the Atlantic. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for joining the Speaking and Communicating Podcast once again. The Speaking and Communicating Podcast is part of the B Podcast Network, where there are many other podcasts that support you in being a better leader and becoming the change you want to see. To learn more about the B Podcast Network, go to bpodcastnetwork.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave us a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify, and stay tuned for more episodes to come.